Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. You can grow them indoors and outdoors. They're easy to care for and they're very unique and colorful. But which ones are the easiest to care for? Well, if you haven't guessed yet, we're talking about succulents today with renowned expert Robin Stockwell. Are you starting a school garden or maybe even a homeschool garden? Which plants and concepts should you consider before turning that first shovel full of soil? Well, we're going back to school with Debbie Flower, and she knows a thing or two about school gardens. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Let's get started. People looking for a drought-tolerant landscape don't need to look any further than succulents. And there's a whole world of succulents that do well in the Central Valley. We're talking to the author of the book Succulents, the ultimate guide to choosing, designing, and growing 200 easy care plants. It's Robin Stockwell. And Robin, you've been associated with succulents for a long time. You've had a nursery. The nursery that I sold two and a half years ago is Succulent Gardens, located on the Monterey Bay. Now, this book, Succulents, is just a gorgeous book. It's much more than a coffee table book. It's really a great how-to if people want an introduction to the world of succulents. And the beautiful part about succulents is it's a great small space garden. Even if you just have a sunny patio or just want to do container gardening, there's a succulent that will fit. Absolutely. And actually, when I first started out growing succulents, I would ride my bicycle through what then were called trailer parks. Now they're called mobile home parks. Uh, But because people who lived in those mobile home parks lived in pretty small spaces, you often found succulents growing on their porches. And so if I saw a variety that I didn't have, I'd knock on the door and ask for a a cutting or trade a cutting. And uh, I never took them without permission. (laughs) That's important, isn't it? But you learned at an early age how to take cuttings. I did. I did. So how did that interest in succulents begin? My interest in succulents actually began by helping a friend who I, I had gotten out of the Army and went back to school, and the friends I was in school with had all graduated from college. And I went back to college and helped a friend who, when he got out of school, he started growing plants and selling them at the farmer's market in uh, San Jose, or the flea market. And at that time, I was helping him. We drove to Monterey through the artichoke field, saw a little sign that said Mulligan Hill Cactus. And Mulligan Hill Cactus turned out to be a collection of plants that one of the artichoke foremen uh, was growing. And I ended up buying his collection. And a friend of mine and I became partners and started growing plants together. And we were just enamored by all the flowers. The, the They were mostly cacti. It was springtime, and they were all in bloom. So we were just enamored, and that's how we started working together growing plants. 
Well, let's get back to the subject on hand, which is your book, Succulents, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing, Designing, and Growing 200 Easy Care Plants. And I should mention that if you hear noise around us, it's because we are at the horticultural show for Northern California called NorCal here in San Mateo. So we're taking a little break from uh, visiting booths and and talking uh, with Robin Stockwell here. Robin, what are some good container succulents that would be easy for people to grow? I love echeverias, and echeverias love me. You might know of some echeverias having been referred to as hen and chicks because the mother plant, the central plant, which sends out babies around the base, uh, the central plant being the hen and the babies, the offsets to the mother plant being the chicks. And there are many, many, many kinds of echeverias. They lend themselves extremely well to container plantings. The roots are somewhat shallow. And uh, they're just tough, versatile plants, and there's hundreds and hundreds of varieties. And the foliage comes in white, black, blue, pink, purple, all different colors. And they flower in the spring and summer, so you get the flowers. Hummingbirds love the flowers, so if you like hummingbirds, they draw hummingbirds. So that's one plant I love to use in containers. I, I love sedums. Sedums do extremely well in the Central Valley. Probably they'll do a little bit better in the summertime with a little afternoon protection from the sun. The sedums, there's many types of sedums, and they tend to be little ground cover types, and they'll cascade over the side of the pot, so they really look cool when they grow out of the side of the pot. And then I think that the sempervivums, aloes, most succulents do extremely well in containers. What sort of exposure do they need? They want about two to three hours of sun a day. Some varieties will take full sun, even in Sacramento, but they want to be a mature plant. You don't want to take a juvenile and then put it in the full sun. If you're going to put a put a, a container in full sun, you really want to get it well established. I myself, even on the coast, where I've been raised and, and growing my plants, even on the coast, I love morning sun for growing my plants and afternoon shade. So some filtering of the sunlight will make your plants a little more vibrant and colorful and have a nice form. Too little sun and they'll they'll start to lose color. So if they get two, three, four hours sun a day, that's a good amount. So an eastern exposure. Eastern exposure is wonderful. What sort of soil mix is best for a containerized succulent? So all succulents like to have good drainage. And if you're going to buy a potting mix, you can buy a cactus mix, which is basically a mix that has good drainage and aeration. If you don't want to buy a cactus mix, you want to take your own potting mix and use it for succulents, it's a good idea to amend it with either crushed lava or perlite or pumice. Either one of those three things will help you give the aeration. And if if you take about one part of the crushed lava and three parts of the potting mix, that's a good mix to make a blend that is aerated and drains well. What are the watering requirements for containerized succulents? Watering for succulents is somewhat dependent on the exposure, the time of year, and the type of container. 
glazed containers, non-porous containers tend to dry out more slowly. But typically, we water about once a week in a container. In the Central Valley, the maximum you're going to want to water is twice a week during the hotter months. But that's, that's the most you're going to want to water. The important thing is when you do water, water thoroughly. Make sure the water gets all the way in to the roots. Don't, don't just give it a dab of water and assume that's going to help the plant. It will help a little bit, but you'll get better results if you get it all the way down into the bottom. In the wintertime, should they be offered some protection or can they take the full elements outdoors? When you talk about winter protection, generally you're talking about freezes, sub-freezing temperatures. Succulents, almost all the succulents I've grown are good down to 32 degrees. Once you go below 32, you start to thin out the varieties that you can grow. You really want to try to get good information about the plants that you're growing. I recommend, first of all, that when you go to a, a, a nursery, if you look at the succulents in the nursery and they're not labeled, tell the nursery people, hey, please start getting labels on plants and get labels with good information on what, what grows where, how cold it can go. If you look at my book, you all the plants listed, it shows t- cold tolerance, it shows how how long it takes to get bigger, you know, how big do they grow, when do they flower, what color of the flower. That's what labeling is about. And we're kind of in a transition now. And what you want to do as a consumer is insist on good information from your nursery folks. Excellent advice there. And, of course, your book is an excellent resource as well, Succulents by Robin Stockwell. One more question, and I've heard this answer both ways, and I'm not sure which is right. During a frost or a freeze, it's not uncommon uh, advice to water plants to help stave off the effects of a frost or a freeze. But I've heard with succulents, do not water them if a frost or a freeze is predicted. True or false? So my my thing about a freeze is they go through the freeze better if they're dry. Sometimes you don't have that uh, ability because you might have a rainstorm and then it clears and freezes. So there's not much you can do about that. But if you have the option, I like them to be dry during a, a, a hard freeze. All right. Excellent advice. The book against succulents, the ultimate guide to choosing, designing, and growing 200 easy care plants. It is by Robin Stockwell. It's published by Oxmoor House. And uh, one and, more. And it's basically a sunset book. And it's a beautiful book, too. I mean, it's, it's easy to understand, beautiful pictures. Robin, it's a pleasure to meet you and uh, running, in, running into you here at the uh, NorCal show. And it, this is one of my favorite books. I'm not giving this one away. This has been serendipitous. You and I did not schedule this meeting. We had a phone call scheduled yes. on Monday, yes. and here we are. Oh, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. All right. It's all good. Succulents by Robin Stockwell. Robin, thank you so much. I've been wanting to meet you. This is awesome. <laughs> thank you so much, Fred. Please excuse the audio quality you just heard on our interview with Robin Stockwell. That interview was conducted a couple of years ago. We're glad to have SmartPots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. SmartPots, it's the original award-winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and SmartPots are proudly made 100% in the USA. 
Smart pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors. If a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the smart pots that have handles make them easier to move closer to the house for added warmth, or you could even move them inside for the winter. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy Smart Pots at Amazon. If you want to see them before you buy, Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. If you haven't shopped at your favorite independently owned nursery lately, you know something you're missing out. Now arriving at California, Arizona, and Texas nurseries are Dave Wilson Nursery's excellent lineup of farmer's market favorites of great-tasting, healthy fruit and nut varieties. They're already potted up and ready to be planted. We're talking about almonds, blackberries, blueberries, boysenberries, figs, grapes, hops, kiwi, mulberries, olives, pomegranates, and a lot more. For you gardeners in the Pacific Northwest, Mountain, and Southern states, look for Dave Wilson's Farmer's Market favorites in January and February. You want more? Well, by the second week in January, you're going to find your favorite Dave Wilson bare root deciduous fruit trees in stock, including my favorite, the plum apricot cross, the Pluot. Wholesale grower Dave Wilson Nursery has probably the best lineup of great-tasting fruit and nut varieties of any grower in the United States. Find out more at their website, DaveWilson.com. And while you're there, check out all the videos they have on how to plant and grow all their delicious varieties of fruit and nut trees. Plus, at DaveWilson.com, you're going to find the nursery nearest you that carries Dave Wilson's plants. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. Have you taken a look at the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter yet? There's one that accompanies each episode of the Garden Basics podcast. It's usually a deeper dive into what was discussed on the podcast, but we also throw in a lot more great gardening information. And yes, we will have more information about the succulents and school gardens that you heard about on today's episode, but we will also answer a common question among vegetable growers this time of year. How can you speed up pepper seed germination? Our tips can take a week or more off the usual two or three weeks it takes to see pepper seed sprouts. You can find a link to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter in the podcast show notes or at FarmerFred.com or by going to Substack.com slash Garden Basics. Think of it as your garden resource that goes beyond the basics. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter and it's free. Please subscribe, share it with your garden friends and family, won't you? The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. And thank you for listening and reading. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics podcast. A lot of ways for you to get your question into the show. You can email us, fred at farmerfred.com. You can call us, 916-292-8964. You can text us at that number as well, 916-292-8964. Go to speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics. You can talk to your computer or your smartphone and leave a question that way. You can leave it at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page or at, uh, at Farmer Fred on Twitter or Farmer Fred Hoffman on Instagram. Several ways you can get your questions in. Like Nick, who is a school teacher 
Debbie Flower is here. You used to be a school teacher. I was. Yes, yeah. a, a college professor. He says he's assistant superintendent. So, oh, excuse me. He's a manager of a school. All right. Uh, Nick is, wants to start a school garden. He says we have in Santa Clarita, which is in uh, the northernmost reaches of Los Angeles County. And interesting that he uh, drives from Kern County in Bakersfield area to Santa Clarita. Wow. People who drive the grapevine every day get a special place in heaven. <laughs> uh, he says we have the opportunity to build an edible schoolyard at one of our elementary schools and we are doing it big. We would put in a backyard orchard to teach backyard orchard culture. We are trying to the landscape what should be planted around the kitchen lab do you have any good ideas maybe plants that could be used as dyes maybe just natives i'm hoping that you can come up with something uh, for the kids uh, and any information would be uh, appreciated so a school garden he's I, ambitious yes he is ambitious and all gardening is local and in california yes. one thing to consider if you're teaching uh, children about gardening is to make them aware of drought tolerant plants right yes drought tolerant plants and and the possibly the changing environment that it's getting warmer and drier here yeah I'm not sure how you're going to irrigate these plants, but that is something you're going to have to consider. Yeah, I didn't send a lot of details. We don't know how big is big and and what the exposure is, the sun exposure, where the building is, what the winds are. There's a lot of things we don't know, but uh, I've done a little bit of gardening with children, and it depends on their age, what they're interested in. The flashy things, of course, are always interesting to them, meaning flowers. Uh, things that attract insects yeah. because they can look at the insects. When my boys were very young, they went to a daycare that had a playground uh, on the west side of a brick building in Reno, Nevada. <laughs> That oh, was covered with gravel, and on the other side of the fence was a blacktop parking lot. No heat there. Yes, so it was a very <laughs> hot place, and it just drove me crazy. So I planted scarlet runner beans. I did a lot of investigation because these were young children from mm -hmm. from toddlers on up, and they might eat the plant or the seed or the pod. And I my research indicated the entire plant is can be consumed and not cause harm to the to the children. So I planted, took a long time. Bean seeds only germinate when soil is very warm. You have the kids plant it. Those are big seeds. No, they are big seeds, but I, I planted and germinated them. Took three plantings uh, because the soil was just not warm enough mm. yet. Finally, they started growing up this uh, cyclone fence, so the mesh metal fence. And they did really, really well. And they bloomed red, which the kids loved. They were visited by insects which the kids loved and then they produced these beautiful long pods which were green and brown speckled and then they became pink and brown speckled and then they became brown and then they opened them up and there are these shiny beautiful seeds inside and so things like that depending on your age group things like that are very interesting to children one uh, aspect of agriculture here in california that's growing by leaps and bounds are hedgerows mm -hmm. and a hedgerow i think would be a great idea for a school garden where you're growing a variety of plants from perennials up to shrubs maybe some small trees as well that attract a whole host of garden good guys including birds yes you want a hedgerow it, it has been promoted for california agriculture for fields uh like the around a grape vineyard um or any other kind of a, a truck crop field uh, any kind of monoculture, like a uh, an orchard of almonds or something, so that the beneficials, the animals, 
insects, etc., that control the other bad guys in the garden have a place to live and feed and be protected. It's amazing by attracting the birds just how much control they have over the worm population, by the bad worm population, yes. the tomato worms, the cabbage loopers, yes. those guys. My, uh, my current garden is right under some low tension power lines. They're, they're not the, the big high ones. And the birds sit there regularly and I have never had a tomato hornworm in this vegetable garden since I moved here. And we have seen uh, here in California and maybe where you live as well that a lot of community gardens now are in those spaces, the right-of-ways that are taken up by power lines mm-hmm. and that's a great idea it is yeah. you get some hawks that will be up in those high places mm-hmm. you can have bat boxes i have a, a chart which i have seen numerous times in over decades and it's for california but it's establishing hedgerows for pest control and wildlife and it lists the plants which are primarily shrubs willow they don't have to be trees they can be shrubs ceanothus which is also called california lilac coffee berry holly leaf cherry Yarrow, which is uh, Asculus, Silver Lace Vine, Toyon, which is Christmas Berry, Golden Sticky Monkey Flower, Elderberry, California Buckwheat, Deer Grass, Creeping Bubiala, which is a Australian ground cover, California Fuchsia, Narrow Leaf Milkweed, St. Catherine's Lace, and Coyote Bush. And then it shows you what months they bloom. And that is critical that you have something in bloom every month of the year so that the insects have a place to hang out. The grasses, the ornamental grasses, deer grass is one of them, is a place that the beneficial insects spend their winter and hibernate. And so they come out. And so we don't want to cut them back. This is specific to California, but wherever you live, you should be able to find a series of plants. They might not be, if you don't have a list of for hedgerow, then maybe uh, pollinator plants, insectary plants, or bee attractive plants uh, might be in your from your local cooperative extension or uh, local ag commission might be able to give you a list of those plants. Notice that the the list also includes it includes deciduous plants as well as evergreen, and the evergreen ones are the ones that some of the good guys are going to make nests in and hide in and be protected in. And so you need that in the hedgerow. Yeah, very important to uh, keep the small bird population happy is to have those evergreen shrubs like right. the ceanothus in there where they can protect themselves from those hawks who are on the power lines above. <laughs> yes, right. Another idea, he mentioned dye plants. That would be a cool thing for the students to work in. That's D-Y-E. D-Y-E, yes, <laughs> to, to make, uh, uh, and then dye, you can dye yarns or whatever if they, if they have the local sheep population or whatever. Another uh, category of plants that would be good around a, a kitchen lab would be herbs. Mm-hmm. And I have, as I get older and lazier in my gardening, something I've con- concentrated more on is herbs for the cooking. So I have sage and thyme, which for us, and marjoram and uh, oregano, which f- here in California are perennials. Uh, rosemary is a shrub, but these can also all be grown in containers and covered for the winter or protected for the winter if that's necessary. And then you have your annual shrubs like cilantro, parsley, and basil, which all would can be used in cooking. I noticed on your chart, I can't even read the chart from where you're sitting, <laughs> but I noticed that the longest line, and I'm just guessing that the longest line, something that that is in bloom from May through December, I bet that's California buckwheat. Uh, it is. California buckwheat is April through December, okay. yes. And I, I have a uh, couple of those. Yes. It's an yeah, it's an amazing uh plant in that the flower head actually changes color mm-hmm. over the months. It starts off kind of white 
And by December, it, it's this beautiful reddish brown rusty color. Yes. And if not pruned, it becomes a mound. The, the stems grow up oh. and fall over. And I imagine there are things that maybe crawl under that mound for protection. Yeah. So, yeah. There, and wherever you live, there are native plants like that. Right. Where the garden good guys want to live, spend the winter. Yes. It's often been said that uh, if you have deer grass... Uh, don't trim it back too early in the winter. Wait until February or March to trim it back because ladybugs like to spend the winter right. in the middle of and that. And if you expose them, that's a problem. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So a hedgerow diversity in the garden leads to a healthy garden. And so if it, to a school garden to begin with is ambitious. You need people to take care of it. You need good irrigation, good pest control, mulching, all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's great for the children, but pest control can be greatly reduced if you have this hedgerow of plants, this diversity in the landscape to allow nature to take care of itself. You could probably combine, if this is a science project, you could probably combine it with a uh, a Native American studies class as oh, well about uh, what, what local Indian tribes lived in your area and what did they do with what grew there? Yes. What were their practices? Yeah. Uh, it, very good idea. Very good idea. I mean, here in the Sacramento area, it's amazing the number of sites you can visit where there are these crevices in the rocks where the Native American tribes, I think in this case it was the Miwoks, would be crushing acorns. Grinding. Yeah, yes. grinding acorns. Grinding rocks. Mm -hmm. Like that. And then over in the Delta area where they would be uh, using elderberries, uh, the pipe, the uh, stems to for weaving. Or to make pipes. Yeah, or to make pipes, too. Yeah. <laughs> to, sh to shoot peas. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Study what your uh, local Native Americans did with what grew there. when. And that would be a great thing to add to a, a, a school garden. That yeah. would make so many lessons. Yes. So there you go, Nick. Lots of help there. Uh, thanks so much for writing in. Good luck with the uh, school garden program. And I hope more and more schools, and, and, and for that matter, homeschool kids get that opportunity too. Don't let your lack of space limit your ability to, to do at least a little bit of that. You can always use a container. Exactly. Yeah. And I understand smart a, pots are very good for that. I was just going to say smart <laughs> pot. You can get a smart pot. And they come in a variety of sizes, including huge. Yeah. Yes. By the way, I, I I want to mention that uh, I had a uh, pepper plant growing in a smart pot that I had in one part of the yard, and I decided to move it to the warmest part of the yard. It is still producing peppers. Oh my gosh! It's, it's out there on top of a barrel. And here right we're now. a week before Thanksgiving. Yeah, and it's got. Oh, I can see it now. It, yes, it's loaded with little peppers. Uh huh. It's 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 called the natapeno. It's an heirloom. Sweet pepper. Oh, it is sweet. I yeah, was thinking the, usually well, the smaller they are, the hotter yeah, they well, are. It's called natapeno. Okay. <laughs> so, that's, so it's not hot. The it's, name it's, is telling. It's sweet, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it likes it there. Great. All right. And with a smart pot, you can easily move uh, these plants. If they're in uh, containers, the smart pot containers, you can move them to, From place uh, to place and maybe get a little longer uh, seasonality out of them. Good point. Do that with a school garden, too. Yes. Debbie Flower, thanks for your help on this. Always a pleasure, Fred. Thank you. Don't forget, if you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's episode of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, please subscribe to the free Garden Basics newsletter. It's on Substack. Details are in today's show notes. 
The Garden Basics podcast will be on its winter schedule from November through January, which means there will only be one episode per week during this three-month period, and it'll come out on Fridays. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by SmartPots, and we thank them for their support. Garden Basics, it's available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.